As you said, Josh, it's really not about racism as an, a one-to-one individual phenomenon. It's about racism as a system yeah. and, and what the consequences of that system have been. Mm-hmm. And that's important. It's important for us to understand so that we can then attack some of the historic problems that plague historically disenfranchised people, whether they yeah. are black people, whether they are Asian people, whether they are indigenous people, whether they are uh, Latinx people. All righty. Welcome in, everybody. Another fine week of your favorite uh, Alabama political podcast, Alabama Politics This Week. Uh, I am Josh Moon, the other voice you will hear hopefully in just a second, although I think he was talking to me a second ago and I can only see his lips moving. Uh, But that is? David Person. There he is. There he is. There we go. Okay. All right. Yeah, we're good. We're good. Sorry, that's uh, my bad. Uh, but no, it's uh, listen. We're uh, we're ready to roll. We got a uh, probably our best show ever uh, this week. Um, uh, and you know what? You got to listen to find out if I'm right or not. I so, think that's the case every week, Josh. I think every week we do a show, it's better than the last one. I, I think so too. We're growing. We're growing yeah. and learning. And really, isn't that what all of life is about? Growing is. and learning and uh, getting better journey. and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, well, we're good. We got uh, plenty of things to talk about. I- I'll say this uh, right up front here. Um, it, it just kind of a a scheduling uh, note. I uh, see we got one more week of this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think and, that's and right. Then, Is that right. And then we're going to take a, take a little break, um, and then be back at the uh, towards the end of of July. Uh, just kind of a kind of a summer cleanse, uh, if you will. Uh, no. No real reason other than uh, David and I would like to go on vacation. Uh, so that's, uh, that's about it. I'm going to go to the beach and, uh, and I, you know, David's going to take some, some time off and not have to worry about this damn thing for a little while. And, um, you know, we're, uh, we'll be back. You know, we, we promise will. we've, the, the money's already there, so we're good to go. Uh, right. but, uh, <laughs> so it's, uh, We'll uh, we'll be back, uh, but we are going to take a little break because, I mean, really, what the hell is going on? You know, it's the middle of July. Go out and enjoy some fireworks. You don't need to be listening to us complain about things or, or tell you what you ought to be thinking for a little while. Uh, have some fun. Uh, but, you know, or save up some of these things. Listen to them while you're on vacation yourself, you while, you're, while you're traveling. Uh, you so go. we'll, uh, we'll that's be a around. Good po- uh, that's a good way to consume a podcast on the road. A hundred percent on the, on the road, traveling, get, uh, get your feel of, uh, information and, and humor. Um, speaking of information, uh, we have, uh, we have received some and, uh, in a typical Alabama fashion, uh, very poorly, uh, over the last, uh, couple of weeks, I guess, which, uh, because we have been deeply involved in the critical race theory debate, uh, which is a 40 year old a uh, theory uh, which has come to the surface now because I don't I don't know really why it's come to the surface other than Republicans needed something to deflect from the January 6th insurrection I guess is the reason why it's come to the surface now and why well, Fox News is talking about it every other segment well I think I think it's coming I think it's come to the surface because uh there is a there's this sort of uh, culmination of events Right. So you got Black Lives Matter, uh, you know, and the, and the incidents that precipitated it and then that have followed it. 
And, and so that's led to more uh, overt attacks on white privilege, white supremacy, mm-hmm. uh, the new term du jour, white fragility. And uh, and so there are some fragile ass white people out there, man. I gotta tell you, yeah, there's some white people that are really damn worried about things, well, I, man. I, all I, the time. I think I think it sort of comes with privilege. Anybody who has privilege of any in any demographic category is going to be fragile because they're 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 subject to attack and they know it. So I think uh, you know when yeah. it comes to America with race being the predominant theme, that's what happens. So you got yeah. white fragility. So all of these things culminate. And and then you have, I think, people, as you're alluding to, uh, who, you know, whether they're with Fox News or the Republican Party or whomever, they, they're looking for a way, they're looking for something to attack mm-hmm. that will, they hope will mitigate the criticism and, the, and the, really the damage that is being done to their viewpoints. And so they've settled on critical race theory, which to yeah, me yeah. is just yeah. black history. I mean, right? You know, yeah. that's all it is, really. Well, and I, I'll, I'll say this too. You know, as you, as you were saying all that, I, I also thought of the, um, you know, the, the push for the the sixteen nineteen project. Yes. Um, and yes. and some of the things that are being taught, and and how deathly afraid a lot of white people are, which I've never understood that. I, you know, again, I, I think I'm, we've, we've talked about this before. I've, I've never mm-hmm. understood this, uh, this sensitivity to people saying your ancestors did some bad shit. You know what I mean? I've never, I've, I've never understood that, that sort of protection of your great, great grandfather. What the fuck do you care? You know what right. I mean? Why are you, why are you so worried about it? Listen, there is, there's a bridge named for my great, great grandfather. In the one that stretches over the Tennessee River, leading from Decatur into Limestone County, or what's the name of the bridge? Uh, Steam uh, Hudson Memorial Bridge, uh, the one right there in Decatur that, that goes over the the main bridge going when you go into Decatur. Uh, right so there, the, the, your great grandfather was Mister Hudson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's Steamboat his, Bill Hudson. Yes, Bill Hudson. His name. Okay. Yeah, he uh, he mapped out. Uh, he was a a longtime steamboat captain and mapped out all the rivers and things around here. And uh, you know, and so they named the bridge for him. Um, and um, and I'll tell you this: my grandmother tried to convince them not to because he was also a raging alcoholic, wife beater, and asshole. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. so she said, "The trifecta." Raging yeah, alcoholic, um, wife beater, and an a-hole. That's the yeah, trifecta. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, um, he, uh, you know, she, she actually said to them, you know, I don't, I will not participate in this because I, you know, I, it's nice that, that the family would have this recognition, I guess, but you know, there are better people in our family, uh, you know, mm-hmm. than, than this guy. And I don't, I don't particularly want to get behind this and, and just other to be people clear, in the family pushed it. Just to be so. clear, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I want to make sure I'm clear. Mm-hmm. This is Steamboat Bill Hudson's daughter saying this. It would be his granddaughter. Oh, granddaughter. granddaughter. Okay, granddaughter. Yeah. Or, you know, it might have been like his you know, niece or something. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so, but somebody who had enough proximity yeah. to know this yeah. is a this guy is not a would good guy. It would be niece. It would have been, yeah. I guess granddaughter would have been right. Granddaughter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so yeah. So, Okay, got it. Okay, yeah. but okay. definitely somebody, somebody with the knowledge. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Somebody with the knowledge. Somebody who knew what was up. 
Um, and and so yeah, I mean, but everybody knew it, man. This was not breaking news to anybody, you know. I mean, we knew who the guy was. Uh, but I mean, did he perform some service for people in the area by mapping out the rivers and things like that? Yes, he did. He he did that, and uh, and apparently among steamboat people, he was a real highly thought of dude. Uh, but in regular life, not so deserving. But. That's fine. You know what I'm saying? I, take his name off the damn thing. I don't care. I'm still going to drive across it. What do you care? You know, and that's the same way I feel like with these statues and with all of the stuff that when people say, look, you know, you third generation owner of the feed store here, you didn't really do much for that. You know, you were born. And right. the reason why these other people we're not allowed or not, don't have a third generation feed store owner in their family is because their people weren't allowed to own things or to read or to go to school or to have any sort of wealth at all. And your people kept them from doing that. And you want to be better than that. So just be better. I don't understand the problem with that. Yeah, there's a real sort of uh, defensiveness that comes into play and people feel, I think one of the problems is people feel a guilt that they should not feel. Um, And some of that is, I think, internal and some of it is external. So Mm -hmm. some of it is people naturally sort of feeling a sense of shame that, oh my God, my people were associated with this. And then some of it is, uh, you know, external, meaning that in all frankness, Many of us black people, mm-hmm. you know, and my, you know, my friends and I, we've talked about this kind of stuff for years, you mm-hmm. know, we'll at we the meetings, will, at, at the meetings, at the, yeah, at the, at, at the at, annual at, black at the people meeting, meeting that, that the barbecue hold. at the barbecue. Yeah. Well, not so much at the barbecue because we try to keep it light at the barbecue. No, I got you. you. Know, we I just want to have I'm fun saying, at the barbecue. Yeah, yeah. But at the right. meetings, we get serious. Right. We put on yeah. suits and ties and really we get into some real heavy discussions about white people. Uh And so, you know, we talk about how we hate to watch things like 12 years a slave too often or roots too often and how, you know, that kind of stuff affects us. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm being, and I've, you know, we were being a little bit facetious there, but now I'm being serious. I mean, there's a certain level of, uh, in fact, I went to the last time I saw 12 Years a Slave, which is an excellent movie, excellent movie, very historically sound. Um, I, I went with one of my white buddies mm-hmm. and because he wanted to see it, wanted me to go with him. I was like, sure. After we went to the movie, I was like, yo, Mike, got to be honest with you, man. I'm not going to be able to do this again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not be able to do this again. It just it it's it, too many triggers in there for me. It just yeah. hits too many buttons. Well, well, so, you could you could have come out and just punched Mike. You know what I mean? Well, and he would have understood. <laughs> just right, just punched him right out of the out of the theater. And you know, and 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 you're actually with that with that joke, you're actually really getting to my point, Josh, mm-hmm. which is that there is there is in us, I think, an an instinctive reaction to these overt displays of bigotry and hatred to Mm -hmm. want to respond in kind. But the reason I won't respond like that to Mike is because Mike didn't do any of that. Yeah. And I love Mike. Mike loves me. I know that we're good. Me and Mike are good. So, you know, it's like, 
it's like there, but 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 there is a sentiment that we feel towards, I'll say, white society and the white mm-hmm. power structure, and so people will feel that pressure. You know, it's mm-hmm. not individual white people that we know and love or know and like, but it's it's the but it's the collective, and so yeah. there's that internal pressure, that external pressure. And it's something that we can only work through by talking and by engaging and by mm-hmm. confronting our history, not trying to revise it, which yeah. is which is really the pushback to critical race theory uh, really is about, uh, you know, maintaining falsehoods or, or half ass truths and revisionism, you know, yeah. which has yeah. unfortunately been part of. Uh, not just American history, but world history. I mean, that's yeah. why a lot of people don't realize that Egypt is in Africa, for example. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, you know, and I guess maybe we should say, you know, that what, what critical race theory is, um, you know, in, in, and it is, this is a broad term because it's not clearly defined, uh, but it's, it's more a theory of, of racism is not a singular entity. It's not, it's not one person's, um, you know, racism, uh, you know, certainly that exists on a one-to-one level, right. but it's more of how racism, uh, a theory of how racism is kind of ingrained in our, uh, our different functions of government and our different, you know, societal, societal groups. Um, you know, the justice system, for example, is a good example of how racism is kind of ingrained in that to mistreat, you know, black men, especially, uh, you know, and, and you can draw a straight line. So that's not hard to do if you start talking to somebody about it, about how uh, you, you heard for years about how, you know, these black men were dangerous animals and were painted in this, you know, this dangerous you know light and how people feel about that and how those feelings then were manifested in, in some of the mistreatments of, of black men by the justice system, by the criminal justice system, where they would receive much harsher sentences for much lesser crimes than white people were committing at times. That's and, right. uh, yeah. you know, and, and how when there was a crack ep- epidemic, uh, you know, oh, well, it's the, you know, those black people, we got to stamp this out with the harshest sentence possible. But when the opioid epidemic started to hit white people, even poor white people who normally get crushed like bugs uh, by the, you know, the ruling class elites up there, when it started hitting those white people, they were like, whoa, whoa, what? This mental health issue that we have here, we've got, you know, we've right. this, this thing, this disease we've got, we've got to do something about that uh, and, and and create sentencing reform uh, that allows all these white people to stay out of prison, uh, unlike what we did with the black people. And mm-hmm. and I'll say another thing, too, is, is it's not just black people that we're talking about with critical race theory. You know, there's a lot of Native Americans who would like to have a conversation about critical race theory as well and what happened to them uh, along the way. Uh, yeah. And a lot of uh, Asian Americans uh, that were in internment camps and other things that, uh, uh, that have been marginalized for a long period of time. And so there are a lot of things that, that go into this discussion and, and tell the story of America and how we got here. And it doesn't make America this bad country, but man, it does help you to understand your neighbor a hell of a lot more if you know what they've been through. Well, I, I think it's, yeah, it does. It does do that. It should increase understanding, but I also think it does in the minds of many of us, it, de- it demythologizes America. America mm-hmm. is is really cloaked in a lot of myths that are based on 
lies and half truths and just overt, just brazen falsehoods. Yes. You know, know, for, you know, many people don't know and don't want to hear some of these truths. Like, for example, the founding fathers were a bunch of slaveholders, by and large. Yes. I mean, you know, so, uh, you know, that, that, that George Washington, uh, and I don't know how, you know, this is, this is one of those historical facts that may be fact or it may be something else, but the, 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 the evidence I think is there that it's probably fact that George Washington's teeth, his false teeth were actually extracted from slaves that he had. You know, that's one of those things that, um, you know, is one of those sort of, uh, historical facts that, uh, doesn't really, uh, isn't, you know, isn't really discussed in history books, but it's something that again speaks to just how much the the slaves of of our founding, our first president, were considered property. You know, mm-hmm. so much so that he could utilize them for that. Black people were utilized. Black women were utilized for gynecological experiments. Yeah, you know, I mean, all of this is documented history. Um, and so it really is about, as you said, Josh, it's really not about racism as an, a one-to-one individual phenomenon. It's about racism as a system yeah. and, and what the consequences of that system have been. Mm-hmm. And that's important. It's important for us to understand so that we can then attack some of the historic problems that plague historically disenfranchised people, whether they are black people, whether they are Asian people, whether they are indigenous people, whether they are uh, Latinx people. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, there, unless you really have a clear understanding of how our country was founded and how wealth was cultivated in our country, again, with very race-based, economic policies and practices unless you know that mm-hmm. then you have this myth that oh yeah you know white people work hard and they're smarter and black people are lazy well how the yeah. hell can you be lazy when you're working on a damn plantation you know <laughs> yeah. for 15 hours yeah. a day and, uh. and you get the crap beat out of you because you're not working hard enough and you and you're watching as your children are being sold and your wife is being raped by mm-hmm. the by the master and creating you know more children i mean i mean that's just insane but oh, again yeah. people don't put all that together and well, that's why it's critical just, race theory is important well you know uh, it's a uh, i'll say this a lot of it is it's the the totality of the story you know that you that you get um you know where uh, a lot of people, white people especially, love to to break this down into chunks, you know, as an answer for things of of why uh, there are uh, there are issues within uh, minority communities of all sorts, you know, of well, slavery was four hundred years ago, you know, or what, you know, whatever the the argument, two hundred years, two hundred years, or, mm-hmm. you know, you're still blaming slavery, and, and I'm like, well, you know, we were we had to bus kids to the school, you know, thirty years ago, dude, you know, right. so I mean, right. it's it's not like the problems all ended, uh, you know, in the eighteen hundreds, and there are all these things, and I, you know, I'll, I'll tell people a lot is, um, I said, all right, so let's let's say they're they're it's a white baby that has just been born and there is any minority baby that has just been born. 
that can you look at those two children and tell me which one is going to lead the more productive, better life? Which one is going to be more educated? Which one is going to be more successful? Which one is going to have fewer problems in life? Never have, never be arrested, never have any issues, have a good family, you know, live to a ripe old age and die a happy person. Can you tell me which one of those babies, those infants that have just been born is going to be, is going to lead that life? And I said, well, no, of course not. I said, of course not, because each of them right now has that potential to do that. So they're going to be shaped and formed by the environment in which they exist. So wouldn't it help us a whole hell of a lot to know why that environment around them does exist in that way and why that thing is going to be shaped in the way that it's going to be shaped? Because every single living person on this planet has been shaped exactly that same way. So why, why do we fight this so hard? I just don't understand. Why do we fight this so damn hard to, earn, to understand why these people who start out in the exact same place sometimes end up worlds apart? You know, I just don't understand why, why that is so threatening to somebody. I don't understand. It. Well, I think there is a I think, Josh, there is a human tendency to really be dismissive of. And you've talked about this uh, before in columns and we've talked about it on this podcast. Uh, there, there's a, there's a tendency of people to be dismissive for people to be dismissive of the pain and the suffering of others the, the you know, we, we, we don't want to make room in our hearts and minds for that, uh, because of our own narcissism, you know, and, and that's yeah. not a, that's not a race. That's not just in race. That's in with gender. It's with gender identity, sexual preference. It's with Class, I mean, almost any way that you can, you know, demographically group people, you're going to find that there are people who just don't want to have sympathy for or empathy for the other person, you know? So I I think it plays out a lot in this country with race and it's pretty self-evident with our history, Mm -hmm. but it plays out in other ways too. You know? Yeah. Oh, it certainly. It just, I just, but what, what I don't understand is even if you don't, even if you don't care about the sympathy part of it, isn't it, isn't it more, isn't it something you desire more to be, um, to like somebody or to, or at the very least to, to be indifferent to them where as, instead of, of disliking or hating that person? I mean, it's, and that's, that's to me is, is the thing. I mean, it makes, why would you want to dislike somebody and, or an entire group of people that you don't even know, you know, and that right. you don't understand. And so you know, why would you why would you allow yourself to say, I, you know, I hate black people or I hate you know, whatever he goes. God knows there's a, it, there's a whole groups of people out there that hate each other. Yeah. Uh, but why would you do that without having some understanding of who those people are and and what happened and what shaped them, uh, you know, and, and what got what got us all to this point? That's what I don't understand. I, you know, I, I just I don't get it. I don't. Uh, it just seems so much more enjoyable of a life to like people and to, you know, and to want to have you know, friendships and want to have, you know, you know, a level of love and respect for people than it does to have some sort of hatred and dislike for people. It seems like such a drag and such a negative on you to want to have that all the time, especially when there's no reason for it, you know? Mm-hmm. 
But well, in Christianity, we call what you're talking about grace, you know. And I mean, I'm and I'm not saying that that I'm not saying that only Christians can feel what you're talking about. That's not sure, what I'm saying. Sure. I'm just using that as a reference. I think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, having grace, having compassion uh, for people, uh, empathizing with people. You know, it's a choice. It's a conscious choice that people either make to do or to aspire to, or they don't. And there are a lot of people who, because of the way they've been acculturated, they do not aspire to that, Josh. And it is unfortunate, but they don't. Yeah. A lot of people have compared me with Jesus. So it's, uh, you know. You know, that's uh, that's that's uh, uh, uh you went to Sunday school ever. as a kid and I I'm sure that uh didn't you sing that didn't you sing in Sunday school that song uh what was that song? Be like Jesus, this my song or something. Uh uh I never you know. went to a lot of Sunday school. I mean we went to oh, church, but I never I never oh. Yeah, oh, we okay. we you know Sunday school starts early, so I never. Got well, I thought early. I thought that the great great grandson of of Steamboat Bill <laughs> would be a Sunday school guy. Uh, no, he was not. Uh, <laughs> no, but you, uh, I thought you would be a Sunday. School I know that's what I'm saying. No, he he is not. It was not. He is not. Uh, it's uh, not a. I'm 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 busy. On, I'm on the rivers mapping things out. Uh, that's ah, what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah, it's, okay. uh, you know I'm uh, I'm not there, but no, it's a. Uh, uh, it just, man, it just has always, always bothered me. And it seems like, you know, the critical race theory, um, you know, and, and what we're doing in schools and stuff with that, um, you know, it seems helpful. I mean, it seems helpful to me to want to to teach kids, you know, this is what happened. This is the real history. I, I would have loved if somebody had taught me the real history of, of what went on just in this state. You know, if I if I had known that Rosa Parks was not just a tired seamstress, you know, I right. mean, it would have been would have been wonderful, uh, you know, to actually learn her history uh, as an NAACP investigator. And, uh, you know, and to know the, the formation with uh, E.D. Nixon and, you know, the Montgomery Improvement Association. And, and, Look at you, know, you Josh. You know, you know your stuff, man. I, I like the names you're dropping, man. I like well, that. that's you know, well, you know, I've told that's you before. Good. I mean, it's I, I didn't know any of this before yeah. I got to Montgomery as a reporter and and met Fred Gray and um, you know, and I was I, I was telling folks the other day, man, Fred Gray. Listen, this is how stupid I was. Okay, Fred Gray, when I first met him, was just the ASU attorney. He was the guy at ASU that kept me from getting records and who I argued with all the time. I didn't have any idea who the hell Fred Gray was. I, you know, it wasn't, and it wasn't until we did the, the 50th anniversary of the bus boycott stuff that I figured out who he was and, and his role and thought, holy hell. I mean, look at what this guy has done. And then, you know, we met and ate lunch. And, and I mean, you know, I, I still talk to Fred pretty regularly to this day. And I mean, it's just, um, uh, I, I just, you know, and, and learned of, of Rosa Parks and what she did. I mean, to the point where I became so enamored with Rosa Parks that I literally named my daughter after her. Um, and, you know, I mean, it just is that's uh, th- and that's what I'm saying. That sort of education and knowledge. Look how it affected just me, you know, and 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 what it did to, to the point where, where I would literally name my child after after one of these figures who I didn't know anything about in school. Yeah. And so it just it just seems like that's kind of important, you know, that that this sort of things are, are, are that we're missing would help explain to a lot of people what's gone on in this country and and, and would eliminate a lot of the hate and divisiveness that we have. My new nickname for you is going to be the Great White Hope. <laughs> The great white hope. You are the kind of white man 
that we are looking for when we have our annual black meetings. I'm going to have to invite you to the National Black Convention. We're about 40 million of us get together. We'll have to have you as our keynote speaker. And, 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 and much like Jesus, I will be the only white man among, you know, a group of, of, of much darker people. So, uh, you know, except uh, for this, except for this, Jesus wasn't white. Uh, What? Get out of here. He was the only white Middle Easterner. Come on. (laughs) Jesus was African, baby. He was African. Uh, he went not, down to e- hey, hey, Mary and Joseph took him down to Egypt. They blended in. Explain uh, that. Exactly. <laughs> I've never seen that meme on, uh, uh, oh, I, I can't remember what it's. A, it's a bowl of, uh, of Cheerios and the, the whole entire bowl are the, like the, the really dark brown Nutri-Grain Cheerios. And then there's one regular white Cheerio right in the middle. It says, look, Jesus is here. And it's, uh, <laughs> I haven't seen that. No. <laughs> no, no. Oh man! We were right, in my house. A... We worship a black Jesus, doggone it! We don't worship white Jesus. <laughs> hey, I'm good with it all. I'm good with it all. All right, uh, let's uh, let's slide out. Uh, we'll come back. Uh, Representative Neil Rafferty is going to join us. Uh, talk about uh, the transgender bills uh, and the uh, the one transgender bill that we passed, anti-transgender bill, I should say, that we passed that that today went poof uh, at the hands of the Department of Justice uh, and the Department of Education. Uh, we'll be right back in just a minute. All right. Welcome back to Alabama Politics This Week. David Person, Josh Moon, and we are glad to have with us State Representative Neil Rafferty. Uh, Neil is based in Birmingham. And uh, what, what, what legislative district do you cover, Neil? Uh, House District 54. Uh, it's pretty much downtown Birmingham, Fountain okay. Heights, East Thomas neighborhoods, and then stretches, uh, stretches east to Ruffner Mountain, if you're familiar with the area. So. Okay. Okay. And you and you and your um, your position is a historic one in that you are now the second uh, LGBTQ representative, openly uh, LGBTQ representative that we have in the Alabama House. Right. That's correct. Yeah. As far as I know, um, there has, uh, you know, Patricia Todd, my predecessor, was uh, the, the first one back in 2006. And then uh, in 2018, I became the, uh, the second one. So Nice. Nice. Well, welcome, man. Glad to have you on with us. Happy so to be here. We, uh, Josh and I wanted to discuss with you uh, a few things. And let's start with the the recently passed uh, trans the the uh, ban on transgender athletes that the sure. yeah okay um, that's a a bill that we've discussed on this podcast and mm-hmm. both of us find it to be extremely problematic. Mm-hmm. Now that it has passed, what what do you anticipate will happen? What do you anticipate the impact will be? <clears throat> well. I'm not exactly sure. Um, I, you know, it, it's. I think it's like uh, kind of a pandering issue where they, uh, the Republicans felt like they needed to um, pass a bill that didn't even have a problem. You know, uh, create a solution uh, that doesn't even yet have a problem. Um, so what I anticipate happening now, you know, the NCAA has spoken out and pretty taken a pretty harsh stand against this. I know it might be a 
uh, different or uh, difficult because this year, particularly, there's just been so many of these bills across the country as part of a coordinated national campaign. Um, so I don't know. Uh, I don't know what's what's going to happen. Um, uh, you know, I have some attorney friends of mine who have said that this will be a violation of uh, possible Title IX, Title VII, or an impossible executive order if it comes down from the Biden administration, too. So there's a lot of ground there for, um, for all sorts of problems uh, that might come, uh, that might arise from this, from this loss of revenue. Obviously, it doesn't, I don't think it makes the state look very good at all, particularly, again, that we're not focusing on issues that really affect everyday Alabamians. You know, we got serious healthcare disparities. We want to talk about our education, uh, reading, uh, literacy, and math. Uh, you know, we need to make sure that we're, we're getting, we're addressing those issues. Those are actual problems here affecting everyday Alabamians. But this is some, some issue that, you know, like I said, we're just part of the, the national trend here down here in Alabama. So, yeah. so I, I get the sense, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm naive. I mean, I I don't have a child. Uh, I have a child, but he's grown. And I don't have a child that's in the the local school system uh, anymore. But it just seems to me, uh, as you alluded to, that this is really a non-issue for for most Alabamians, if not maybe all Alabamians in a sense. do we know of any cases where there have been uh, transgender athletes who have tried to uh, compete or participate and it's resulted in any kind of disruption? Do we even know of any cases like that? I can tell you that I certainly don't. Um, I have colleagues, including uh, I think uh, Representative Bracey from Mobile uh, had commented on the floor while this was being debated that he has daughters that play sports and this has never been anything that's been an issue issue for him. Um, And I think that if we ask most Alabamians across the state that they would probably say uh, the same thing, that no, that they haven't heard of this being an issue at all. So do you get the sense that, uh, Neil, do you get the sense that your colleagues, your Republican colleagues, have uh, treated you any differently uh, as a gay man serving in the Alabama House than they would uh, any of your heterosexual uh, male colleagues? You know, that would be one that would be kind of tough for me to answer um, because, you know, I, I am myself. I'm open about who I am. I'm not trying to catch anybody off guard or surprise anyone. Uh, so it's uh, I have not noticed any sort of like ostracization, um, ostracizing, excuse me, or uh, any sort of treatment that would be different than what perhaps you would see with my uh, my my straight colleagues. But I mean, I don't know what's, you know, what, what, what's happened behind the scenes or anything like that. But as far as I, what I have experienced has been um, nothing but uh, just, you know, the same kind of respect that you would expect from any of your colleagues on either side of the aisle. And that, that kind of kind of gets into what I was going to ask um, about, because, you know, you're right. I mean, I, I, I talked to the, to the HSA executive director, um, you know, back when they were talking about introducing this bill and and he said in 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 his entire time he would have been there and Steve Savary said said you know in his entire time he's been there they've never had an issue uh of a, of a transgender athlete they've had some questions about some things um and you know they were handled a, in a manner that everybody was satisfied 
right. but otherwise there was never any real issue with anything and nobody ever got, got bent out of shape about anything. And so, um, and not to mention, I don't even think that the legislature, given the, the way our, uh, uh, the HSA was established and, and its purpose, I don't think the legislature even, even has the authority to, uh, to control this. But, um, what I want, so the, the purpose of this was obviously a pandering bill. Um, and it, and it was, yes. you know, it, it was hatefulness. It was, yes. it was to play into hatefulness of, of, of a voting base, uh, yes. and to, and to, and to play on fear and things like that. So what I'm, what I'm curious about is while I understand what you're saying about, you, you don't know whether or not they treat you with the same level of respect as they might, you know, the other straight colleagues, what are the conversations like when you say to them, Hey man, this is going to hurt people. Um, you know, this is gonna this is gonna really hurt some kids who are at risk here that that we know very well who we work with on a daily basis. Right. You know, this is gonna hurt them. What is their response to that? Uh so that's a, a really good point. Um, you know, I I remember talking about one of these bills last year, and I had a colleague that came up to me and said, "I thought you were you're gay. Why do you care about the trans community um, so much?" So. He was just kind of, I mean, it was, he yeah. was just genuinely curious. And I told him, well, it's the LGBTQ, you know, plus community. Um, they're part of that community. We all share a, uh, a similar experience of being kind of different, that horizontal identity where you have to come out um, of the closet in one way or another or live in the closet. So I think that uh, I don't know if there's too much. If there's some confusion with with what gender I, with the differences and distinctions between gender identity and sexual orientation. I can definitely say mm -hmm. that those were some conversations that I had to clarify what those two things were. Um, and even gender expression, which became an issue in the uh, HB1, SB10, that other bill. Uh, that that one had a lot to do with gender expression, even, um, and how that would, would come across and what schools are supposed to do about it. Um, so I know that there, like I, you know, I've said this before, but, you know, while transgender um, issues and um, are not new in the scope of human history, you know, they're not new in the uh, uh, diversity of human experience. There's none of that there. Uh, it's just might be new to some people here in Alabama. It might not be, be used to that. Um, <clears throat> so I think that it's just a very, uh, it's a conversation where visibility becomes increasingly important. Um, right. so once a community becomes more visible, uh, then people start reacting to, to that visibility in one way or another. And I think that that's kind of what we're, what we're seeing, uh, uh, happening here. And like you said, you know, people um, don't really understand the issue. So it's easy to kind of fill in that vacuum of knowledge um, with kind of fear uh, mongering and demagoguery um, <clears throat> if you're going to do it. So I think that that's kind of what we're seeing here. Um, I do try to emphasize to my colleagues that, you know, I work with some of these youth, I work with some of these kids, these families, and I can tell you right now, they feel like they have a target on their back because of what's going on in the legislature. Um, and I've said this before, you know, we're not dealing with adults here. You know, we are right. targeting and dealing with children who are already a vulnerable population, who are already struggling enough with having to get good grades, you know, uh, make friends, figuring out who they are. Uh, and now we're just doubling down on an additional layer of oppression for these for these poor kids who are just trying to make it make it through, even if they're 
wasn't, you know, I don't know of this being a problem or not. It doesn't mean that them introducing this bill has not created significant issues just because these kids who call Alabama home don't feel welcome here. They don't feel like this is uh, the, the place for them. And that is uh, a terrible thing. Uh, you know, the only, you know, like I said, I'm not trans, but I am gay. And I know that when I came out, it was a, uh, a long experience. Um, you know, and they, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a rough ride. I mean, what can I say? It's already hard enough to do that without yeah. having the additional issue of the um, state legislature, your representatives, your neighbors sitting there trying to push and uh, demonize you and um, say that there's something, something wrong with you. Sure. Yeah. So that's been the most despicable thing is using kids as political footballs. I just think that that is um, reprehensible. So. Yeah. You know, it, that's right. it clearly, clearly they, they, there's an ignorance level uh, here, uh, you know, which, which you pointed out. And, and I mean, that's basically a feature, not really a bug with the, uh, with the Alabama uh, Republican Party uh, that, that runs everything is is that they're they they run into uh, they run into a lot of burning buildings without you know really knowing why it's on fire or where the fire is um, and you know it just um, I wonder, the one thing I've wondered is is do you, do you do you feel like there is on any level um, a desire by them to have an understanding of these issues uh, or, or to, to understand, you know, when you, to, when you tell somebody that, Hey man, you're hurting kids here. This is good. This is going to hurt kids. Is there anybody who speaks up and says, okay, well tell me how and why, you know, is there, mm-hmm. is there anybody who wants to understand the issue better? I would say, yes, there is. Um, and sometimes it's because they want to actually have a, a better comprehensive idea of how this policy is, how the human impact of the policies that we're debating and trying to put into tech. But sometimes it's just mere curiosity that then leads into a concern about how this policy will affect, will have a human yeah. impact. So the, the conversations have been pretty um, pretty, pretty good. I can say, uh, you know, pretty respectful. So it's not, uh, what am I trying to say here? Other than, you know, the conversations are had and some, some aren't, some aren't welcome right. or, inter, you know, even open to entertaining the idea of a, uh, the conversation. I don't know. If Do you feel just, like the conversations matter? Do you feel like that they, that they actually oh, reach yes. somebody and change things? My guess, yes, absolutely. 100%. That's how you, and not just, you know, me, but also introducing, members of the trans community and other trans mm-hmm. youth to some of these, some of these folks too, that's been very helpful. Um, right. Once again, just putting the, a human face and, and seeing, you know, how this is actually going to impact the real everyday people that call Alabama home. Yeah. So, so the, so learning a person's history and, and how things actually affect them, uh, it does play a role in how people think about it. It's interesting in terms <laughs> I would of critical say so. race theory. In terms of critical race theory, it's very oh, interesting yeah, to right. know that. How about that? Huh, right. Weird. How about that? Yeah. Huh. That's hey. another issue that's just kind of seems, you know, critical race yeah. theory has been around since what, at least the 80s. Uh, yeah. And now all of a sudden it's become this big issue where, it, you know, white people feel bad. Uh, and there's something that happens when I try to talk about these issues and it's like, well, you know, you're a white guy. It's like, yeah, I know I'm a white guy. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I can't see the, the, the layers of systemic oppression that's built into the system. Um, it, it doesn't mean I, I mean, I can't understand it. You know, I'll never be walk through this world or this country as a, as a black man or, or a person of color. 
but um, you can definitely see the, uh, you just got to look at the history and you can see the the patterns and see why it's, um, you know, some people, it's not, we're not talking about bootstraps. We're talking about like, you know, intentional structural straps holding people back and holding mm -hmm. them down. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Neil, a uh, few other final questions here. One, tell us what the environment is like these days for LGBTQ people in the state. And what I mean by that is, uh, do you sense that there is a, a more receptive, receptive uh, spirit when it comes to uh, Alabamians interact, straight Alabamians interacting with LGBTQ Alabamians, do, do you feel like it's a safer place to be out and married or out and in a relationship? Uh, I would say yes, um, for the most part. Um, I, I knew that in, in my district, I'm very comfortable up here, uh, you know, holding my, my husband's hand or, um, you know, anything like that. Uh, I can say that, you know, Harvey Milk. Okay. So let's, let's go back to Harvey Milk. You know, you're familiar with him. He was yeah. the, the first openly gay elected official in the United States. Um, and he said that, you know, when everyone starts coming out, whenever it starts, starts, you know, being on their authentic selves, that will start seeing people change because people, attitudes change because people will then see that we're not just this, uh, this nebulous group of people that you don't know and have any interaction with, but we're your neighbors. We go to the same church with you. We go to school with you. Uh, you know, we're your family members, cousins, brothers, uh, whatever the case may be. And I think that, you know, at some point we rush, reached uh, some certain threshold where that visibility got so, so good that I think that people are just kind of generally more accepting, accepting of it. Uh, now with the trans issue, Conversely, you know, it, it's estimated about 10% of the population is, is, is LGB um, identified or in, so, in some form or fashion. But, you know, we got less than a 1%, kind of fraction of percent uh, that would identify as trans. Uh, so increasing the visibility of the trans community, um, even if they all come out, would not still have the same impact as, as the LGBs because there's just not as many of them. So I think that it's incumbent for the LGB folks of that of the community to to stick up for our trans brothers and sisters and non non-binary brethren and uh, make sure that uh, we're we're sticking together and united um, as a community in defense of of the whole community. So that's a great point. I've uh, I've had conversations, uh, well, at least one conversation I'll say with a gay friend of mine uh, who I've known pretty much all my life. And at this time that we had the conversation, which was probably four years ago, um, both of us were talking about just our lack of understanding about uh, trans people. Now, I've learned a lot in the past four to five years since we've had that conversation. And I, and I suspect he probably has too. Uh, do you get the sense though, that there is that sort of knowledge gap or comfort gap, even in the LGBT community, in the LGB community as it relates to trans people? There is, um, I will, there is, I can I say for a fact that there is, um, cause I, I've known that I've talked to some of, uh, 
some other members who just fall under the LGB um, and have had these conversations with them too. Um, I would say that the great thing about, you know, once again, the thing that makes us a community is the kind of horizontal identity of being different um, from your family, from your parents, uh, from your peers, uh, and that coming out process that we have to go through. So while I do know that I've had to, you know, have conversations about what um, it, it, it is to be trans, um, it, it's not, it's, an, it's a pretty, it's a pretty reciprocal conversation you can have with uh, members who are just uh, gay or bisexual because they are, you know, compassionate and empathetic and sympathetic to the uh, the process of coming out and just being different already. So, um, you know, I've, I've, so I've certainly have had that conversation with members of the community, um, but I would say that there's overall, there's more of a, a grander acceptance of it um, just because of uh, of that process that that kind of makes us a community the coming out process. So Neil, Does that makes sense. I don't know if I oh, answered your question right. No, but. no, I think I think you did. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I think you were clear. I think you were very clear. And I'm hoping you can provide some insight on my on on this final question of mine. Uh, one of the elephants in the room when we have these conversations is the uh, the tension, the discomfort. Uh, that exists between the black community, generally speaking, and the LGBTQ community, again, generally speaking. I understand there's a lot of overlap. There are a lot of people of color, uh, blacks and other people of color who are in the LGBT community. And so there, there are two things, there are two dynamics that I have sensed that are at play. One is uh, the black communities, because, and to be more specific, the church-based black communities uh, challenges with LGBTQ people because of their interpretations of the Bible and applications of the Bible. And then, and then conversely, I have heard that in the LGBT community, there is uh there there are some racist tendencies that can be found there just as you find in the general population what, what do you, what do you think about those two do you see them both as as real dilemmas and 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 what are your thoughts about that well i think they they are um dilemmas but i think that's part of that nature of the, like i said that horizontal identity uh, right. So the thing is, is that we are, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community transcends race, transcends religion, transcends geography, um, class, socioeconomic status. Uh, so it transcends all these other barriers. So when we do come out and are in the community, we still take all that same stuff that we were raised with or the kind of system that we're, we're embedded in. And then it's up to us and it's incumbent upon, you know, the individual to, to work on that, that issue. So I would say that those are the, the dilemmas. But once again, I, you know, my experience of coming out, my experience of being an openly gay man has been one um, of expanded empathy and to really try to work and understand where people are coming from and, uh, and how, to, how to best uh, talk to them about, um, about any particular issue uh, pertaining to the community. So I think, um, so I, <laughs> I think it's definitely... Uh, like I, I'm just saying that they're people. They're going to bring their same old stuff um, that they that they had growing up, and then. But it's incumbent upon us to keep ourselves in check and make sure that um, 
we're not furthering that, that we understand that we're, you know, as John Lewis said, that we're one family, we're one people, and that we need to have solidarity um, as a group. You know, that's part of the big reason for the, the, the new pride flag has black and brown on it it's because the LGBTQ community, uh, there's a major vein um, that would like to express solidarity with the, the struggles of people of color, um, particularly in, in, in this country and, and probably throughout Western civilization. Yeah. So, I mean, does that answer your question? <laughs> I, yeah, think, yeah, I, I feel think like so. I talk, talk, said a lot, but I don't know if, uh, if I'm, uh, if I'm hitting, hitting the, the cues that you're trying to get, get here. So. No, I um, think you, I think you're exploring it from your point of view and I, and I appreciate it. I mean, I think every, Every little, honestly, uh, you know, I'm a black, obviously I'm a black man. You, you can see that. And I'm a church going Christian. Uh, but I'm, uh, but I, but I'm very concerned about the, uh, the characterization of the LGBTQ community by the church, mm-hmm. even by my own denomination. I'm a Seventh-day sure. Adventist and I'm not comfortable with, uh, a lot of the rhetoric that I hear from preachers and, and others in my own community when it comes right. to the LGBTQ community. And, um, and as a Christian, uh, it's a real uh, dilemma for me. Uh, I was telling my, uh, telling my lady friend, uh, my girlfriend just recently, that um, I've actually, I, I actually believe at some point uh, I hope this never happens, but I actually believe at some point, um, you know, all of us in the Christian church, regardless of denomination, are going to have to uh, make a decision about whether or not we will retain our affiliations with with our Christian organizations based in, in uh, you know, based on uh, uh, some of these expressions uh, or due to some of these expressions of bigotry that that I see coming out of these denominations. And, and again, I include my own in that. Um, I just don't think it is, I personally do not think it is biblical. I don't think it's Christ-like and, um, and I, and I have a real problem with it. So right now my position is I, I, I oppose these things from the inside, you know, now if, if they go to some level of extreme, one day I might have to oppose it from the outside, you know, but right now I'm opposing it from the inside. And I've never said this publicly. I see Josh smiling because he's, he's thinking, oh, David's about to get kicked out of his church. And, and, hey, you know, maybe I am. I don't know. But this is my true belief. I'm, I'm being David's about trans- to have a lot of free time on his hands. Uh, no, <laughs> I'm being very transparent here. This is. I no, think I, this I, is no a, I appreciate it. I was. No, I, it was uh, no. I was more thinking of you as being like the inside man. Uh, that was what was you know, and you you were working from the inside uh, here to to bring it all down. Uh, but no, this is not you know. I'm as you can probably also see, I am neither a black man or a church going Christian. Uh, but um, <laughs> uh, you know, I which leaves me a lot of room to just say I'd like for everybody to just treat each other with respect and, and decency, yes. and, and yes. you know, make sure everybody has the same rights as everybody else. And as long as you're not violating any laws, man, just leave everybody alone exactly and, you know and if you want to be friends with somebody be friends with them all right 
but uh, it's uh, we listen, Neil. We appreciate you coming on. Uh, it 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 really is good, uh, and we'd love to do it again uh, and and talk because I think it's a very very important conversation. Uh, I think it, the the conversations Absolutely. that you have had uh, in the legislature are very important as well, and, and hopefully over the course of time, uh, you know that they, they will they will play out to make us a better state and a better people uh here uh you know and so you know listen i know it's like banging your head against the wall a lot of days but you know keep doing it It can be but you get small victories every once in a while so you just gotta take those take those when you can nice yeah well well, listen man we appreciate you coming on thank you so much uh for 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 spending some time and thank you thank you all yeah Yeah, enjoy the chat love the love meeting both of you um on zoom and uh look forward (laughs) to uh to see and uh, to, to, to listen to the podcast, listen to the product. Awesome. Yes, sir. Thanks Thank for joining you. us. As, yeah, it is. Uh, it's Neil Rafferty, uh, representative Neil Rafferty uh, from, from Birmingham. He was, uh, he's, listen, he's very good. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's very important to have him there. Um, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, um, it, it is, and it, and hopefully it'll, it'll change some things, um, in, in the course of time and, and be better. One mind listen, at a time. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. That's right. That's right. All right, let's uh, let's slide out of here. We'll come back in just a few minutes and wrap this thing up. And uh, until then, Alabama politics this week. All righty, welcome back in Alabama politics this week. Just Boone, David Person. Um, so wrapping this thing up. Um, yeah. I wanted to. Uh, there are a couple of things I want to get into. One, you know, I might really get into this, but they just mentioned it anyway. The Biden uh, Putin uh, little uh, summit that took place today. Apparently, uh, Biden got out of there without disclosing classified information, uh, which is a nice change. <laughs> Miracle yeah. of miracles. Yeah, no, nice, nice change from the last guy. Yeah, uh, you know. Uh, uh, but uh, serial the, the leaker. Thing, yeah. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to talk about uh, was um, our own Barry Moore, our own uh, congressional representative, uh, Barry Moore, uh, who has been nothing short of a joy so far to have in Congress, um, uh, was a one of the no votes on awarding medals to the Capitol Police for their uh, work in fighting, fending off uh, insurrection uh, on January the 6th from a bunch of Magas, um, Moore was was one of those. Um, so, thoughts? Yeah, he's a jerk. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know what else to say. I mean, how do you how do you justify he and that Marjorie Taylor Greene and whoever else? I, I'm wondering now how did Mo vote on that? I was trying to see if I could find that out. Well, he was not listed as one of the uh, as one of the as one of the no votes. I know that. I looked yeah. for that. So, so yeah. So maybe he abstained, or maybe he voted for it. I don't know. But I mean, to me, anybody that any of those Congress people that had the gall to <laughs> vote against those people getting medals. You know, uh, for flimsy reasons. Well, they don't, mm-hmm. you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene said she didn't like it being characterized as an insurrection. I think that's what she said. Or maybe it was Moore who said that. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and no, no, it, it was it was it was Green who said that. She okay. said uh, including the section that reads took issue with the language of the bill, including the section that reads a mob of insurrectionists forced its way into the U.S. Capitol building and congressional office buildings and engaged in acts of vi- vandalism, looting, and violently attacked Capitol police officers. I wouldn't call it an insurrection. Green told reporters. Yeah, that's just insane. And yeah. You know, uh, I mean, they they may not have liked the language. They may have disagreed with the characterization, which I think is is insane and and an extreme act of denial. But but to actually vote against the very people who risked their lives for them that day and who risked their lives for them on a daily basis, when you consider the fact at any given time, there could be a threat to the Capitol, you know, theoretically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, so their whole purpose for being there is to keep those people and their staff members and the public who visit safe. Yeah. I mean, my God, how do you, how do you take a, how do you vote no on that? I, 406 to 21 was the vote. 406 to 21. So, uh, the, these people were, were clearly not in the majority and clearly, uh, an overwhelming majority of Republicans, uh, yeah. were against yeah, you know, we're we're for this bill, uh, you know, because you know, you were you weren't doing anything. You were awarding them medals, you know, congressional yeah. gold medals. Um, yeah. I mean, just you know, I, I just it, you've seen the videos, man. They were beating the hell out of these guys out there, right? You know, I mean, and, so, and, and some not, of them committed suicide. I think a couple yes. of them committed suicide because of the post-traumatic stress of that whole day. Yeah, I mean, you know, get to me, you just get over yourselves for yes. a moment and, and your own political persuasions and, and whatever. And, and, and affirm those people for the work that they do for you every day. Yeah. 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 No, it's, 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 um, it's stupid. Yeah. Is it really, it's, it's stupid. And, and, and if you're gonna, if you're gonna do this, then I don't want to hear anything else from you about back in the blue. Okay, mm-hmm. I, I don't because you're you're not back in the blue. Not when it counts. Not when it matters. All you're, what you're saying is is that you want their votes and yeah. that you know you're going to do stupid things or say stupid things uh, that that gets their votes, but you're not going to do anything that actually protects them. Say like for example, uh, giving them uh, the the necessary funding for proper equipment and things like that, uh, or you know making sure their pension funds are properly protected, uh, things like, you know, things that matter, right. but you will say, Hey, I'll back the blue. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's so, you know, it's, a it's, it's such a, it's yeah, a it is. Yeah. It's, a it's a pandering, it's a pandering bunch of nonsense. And mm-hmm. I, I just, speaking of though, speaking of, and this gets us to our, to our right wing note of the week. Because right. uh, I, and, and, and I know we're probably a little early on this in the second, but I wanted to have time to discuss fully, uh, that this and the overwhelming crazy that has taken hold of the Republican Party, uh, because it is it is filled to the brim with nuts at this point. Um, but our, our right wing note of the week is Tucker Carlson. Um, and I mean, honestly, he could be the right wing note of the week for a lot of times, but um, for most weeks, because his show is it's honest to God. It's it's if you thought Sean Hannity and Bill O'Reilly were bad. This is a whole other level of just fruitcake conspiracy theory nut jobs that they're his new 
the the new thing that he pitched Tuesday night on his show is that the January 6th insurrection was an FBI operation. It's a false flag FBI operation <laughs> that the FBI helped plan and produce. <laughs> this, I, I swear to God, this is true, man. Um, <laughs> wait a minute. Uh, yes. The, the the FBI that is, according to what a retired FBI agent once told me a, a couple of years ago, that is probably 90% Republican. Uh-huh. The FBI that was operating under the Trump administration is yes. the FBI that planned the insurrection? Yes, indeed. Listen, this, this, uh, <laughs> listen. Listen, and let me explain. Let me explain to you what his his theory here. Okay, this is his theory, and and then I then I'll tell you why it's completely bonkers nutcase that there's no way that they ran this past the Fox News legal department because had they, every attorney in there would have been screaming about this. All right, so here this is this is his words. This is uh, this is his words, right? Strangely, some of the key people who participated on January 6th have not been charged. Look at the documents. And he's talking about the indictments and the charging documents. The government calls those people unindicted co-conspirators. What does that mean? Well, it means that in potentially every single case, they were FBI operatives. He, can, he goes on. But wait, here's the interesting thing. Person two and person three were organizers of the riot. The government knows who they are, but the government has not charged them. Why is that? You know why. They were almost certainly working for the FBI. So FBI operatives were organizing the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, according to government documents. And those two two were not alone. In all, Revolver News, Revolver News, which, by the way, is a website that is run by a former Trump speechwriter, the guy that got fired because he uh, participated in talks with a white nationalist. Uh, and so uh, you, you know how well that website is vetted. Uh, in all, Revolver News reported there are, quote, upwards of 20 unindicted co-conspirators in the Oath Keeper indictments, all playing various roles in the conspiracy who have not been charged for virtually the exact same activities, and in some cases, much, much more severe activities as those named alongside them in the indictments, unquote. Huh. So it turns out that this white supremacist, quote unquote, insurrection was again, by the government's own admission in these documents, organized at least in part by the government agents. This is, that all came from Tucker Carlson. This is what he said. That's literally what he said on his show and what he read from. And then he had the the former Trump speechwriter on the show, of course, to, mm-hmm. to talk about this. Mm-hmm. Here is the problem. Here is the problem. There are many reasons why an FBI, why an indictment would reference unindicted co-conspirators, but their status as FBI agents is not one of them, said Jens David Olin, a criminal law professor at Cornell Law School. Added Lisa Kern Griffin of Duke University Law School, undercover officers and informants can't be co-conspirators for the purposes of establishing an agreement to violate the law because they are only pretending to agree to do so. An unindicted co-conspirator has committed the crime of conspiracy and investigative agents doing their jobs undercover are not committing crimes. So they cannot be unindicted co-conspirators and still be agents of the FBI. That can't happen. So it just... But it doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter at all. They just throw this shit up against the wall and and just, you know, every day, every day. And there's no, 
There's no meaningful counter to it on the other side. There's no organized group of people uh, on the other side that that's fighting this sort of just absolute bullshit. Um, you know, and, and I I said on Twitter yesterday, and and I'll say again, I am waiting on the day that Democrats decide to man up and start using some of the same tactics that they do. Uh, and one of those tactics should be right now, they should ignore the hell out of the Republicans resisting that 1-6 uh, uh, investigation and just mm-hmm. run it themselves. Nobody yeah, cares. Absolutely. Get the media on board, send the subpoenas out, put the people on camera and get to the bottom of what happened and show the American people all that happened. Hell, just the Trump documents from this week where they showed all the emails where the Trump was yeah. pressuring the DOJ over the, right. the, the election. Hell, that would, right. you could take a week of that. That's right. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Uh, Democrats need to, uh, the Democrats in Congress need to absolutely move forward with hearings and, uh, and not worry about trying to, uh, you know, make this bipartisan. Uh, they just need to do it because this ultimately is not about partisanship anyway. It's about literally the republic. It's about the whether or not this republic survives. So, yep. uh, so absolutely on that. Now, as it relates to uh, Tucker Carlson, first of all, uh, I appreciate you taking one for the team because I refuse <laughs> to watch. I do not. Oh, I didn't watch, watch that. Oh. I didn't watch that. Oh. No, I, I I read I read the transcript. I, I'd rather oh. read the transcript than watch it. Oh, okay. I got you. Well, again, thank you for taking one for the team. I don't do that. Yeah, you're welcome. I just, I don't want to, I just can't, I can't stomach it. I, I understand. Um, I understand completely. But, um, but I will say that, um, you know, it's, it's not a surprise that he would do it. And I'm actually not surprised that they let him do it at Fox because, um, you know, they've been pretty reckless over there for years anyway. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's any real legal liability here. You know, there's no slander. He doesn't name names of individuals. He indicts an institution. But, you know, he makes a wild accusation against an institution. Well, but he's, but, he's wrong. But it's a, I mean, you know. Well, he's, he's wrong, he, but that's never stopped them. I'm saying. Sure. I'm just, you know, I'm just saying. Yeah. It's, they've been it's a reckless. pretty easily provable right. lie. But, you know, but that's, I mean, it's. But that's not the first time, Josh. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of that's sort of part and parcel of what they do over there, from what I can tell. You know, uh, the only sanct- the only safe places, you know, at least from what I could tell, you know, what's that guy, um, um, the guy who's on in the afternoon who does a straight, he does a fairly straight newscast. I can't remember uh, the only his name. one I ever. The only one I know of is is Wallace. Uh, there, you know, well, Wallace does, is yeah. Wallace is, Sunday morning show. Yeah, Wallace is is pretty decent. Uh, there's a guy over there. I want to say it's not Brett. It's uh, what is that guy's name? Brett Bear. I can't remember. What what did you say? Brett Bear is that what you're talking about? Yeah, Brett Bear is uh, sometimes from what I've seen, and I don't watch them enough to to know for oh, sure. Oh, there's a uh, Cavuto, Neil Cavuto was will, would sometimes do sometimes do, sometimes do some stuff, yeah but. sometimes Cavuto sometimes Brett Bear. Uh, uh, Shepard Smith yeah. was, was great. Yeah, yeah. When, when, when he was, he was there, there, but he's he's gone. He's at isn't he at CNBC? CNBC? He's at yeah. CNBC now. Yeah, but when he was there, he was a truth teller. Uh, and and really was adamant about you know delivery of straight news, but the rest of those clowns, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, come on. So it's not a surprise. 
um, you know, uh, it's just not. So it just the only part of it that that is in any way surprising is when you go into um, it's it's one thing to to, you know to to stand there and or to sit there um, and and say you know make a make an accusation about it, but when you go into that level of detail, Mm -hmm. you know, and and you start you know getting into legal documents and things like that, it, it opens up an avenue for you to really look like an idiot. You know, if you're if you're that wrong, if you're big wrong like he was on this, it really opens up an avenue for you to look like an absolute utter clown. Uh, you know, and then I think that's what's happened here is it it, it has opened up that avenue, and people looked at it and went, even even conservatives, I think, on some of this are like, yeah, now that doesn't make a lot of sense, my man. <laughs> um, and and so I, I think you know maybe maybe they they've hurt themselves with this, but it, it's. Again, it's the grasping. It's well. The the other thing is, is what did going by their string of theories on this, and even by his show, what did the FBI organize? Because up until this point, you've been telling us that it was nothing. There was nothing to this whole thing. They were just basically tourists on a nice little tourist visit over there. You know, exactly. Yeah, I don't know. And then. Yeah, you know, and then they're screaming about Ashley Babbitt getting shot and wanting to get to the bottom of who murdered Ashley Babbitt, which she was not murdered. She was, you know, trying to trying to break through the glass in the door and got shot mm-hmm. after being warned several times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but you know, they wanted to know the name of the officer. I tell you what would let me tell you what would help us get to the bottom of that Ashley Babbitt thing. A nice congressional investigation of one. There sentence. you go. I bet that would there that would go. get to the bottom of that. You know? There you go. I'm All right. Well, anything else you want to get to? No, man. Let's call it a day, man. Oh, let's I know one thing. One thing. One thing you mentioned before, and I, I, we forgot. Uh, Juneteenth. Juneteenth. Oh yes, a, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Kudos to kudos to uh, our uh, our governor uh, for uh, signing. I think it was a proclamation or resolution or something that acknowledged what's been on the books. I think since 2012, and that's that yeah. uh, Alabama recognizes Juneteenth. As a special day, I don't think it's a, it's not a state holiday, but as a special day. No, no, day. I didn't get to that state. I mean, it's not no, like it's as important no. as Jefferson Davis's birthday. No, 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 it's not going to be that, that, it's not going to get that kind of play. But, you know, kudos for her for acknowledging it. And, uh, mm-hmm. and since Juneteenth is Saturday and people will be listening to this podcast on Friday, happy Juneteenth. All right. All right. Hey, listen, look at us leading, uh, leaving you with a, with an uplifting piece of good yeah. news there yeah that's right we would do that every week if we could find some all right uh, we're gonna <laughs> uh with that we're gonna we're gonna slide out of here uh, you know until uh, next week and we will be back next week uh before we take a little break for a little while so i hope y'all get your feel uh we'll be back next week until then y'all be safe Peace.